Blog Talk Radio. The funeral is about to begin, sir. The calling hours. It was 
it like cursed me really because it was so good and so like well put together and everybody was professional. I mean, the budget was there like, and I was like, damn, this is how movies, you know, this is how they work. And it was funny going from that to, you know, other projects where it was like complete opposite, like meltdown, you know, no budget, not even a low budget, just no budget. And, you know, going from one to another, really being able to see how different, you know, every production is. But it was great. I mean, I had such a blast, and and especially being able to do like a period piece like that, set in eighteen like sixty four, um, it was fantastic. So it, yeah, it was really it was awesome. And for those of you that are wondering, uh, Jacqueline and I met on the set of my first film I ever worked on, which was uh, Christine Parker's The Forever Dead. And in that film, yep. uh, Jackie plays you know the lead role uh, of a what would we call you? Would we call you a scientist or, or, or a researcher? Yeah. What would be appropriate yeah, like for the lab. I, I, we used to call it the lab assistant. Um, you know, it's funny, though, because at first, like, I had just, I had saw, like, a little casting notice on Craigslist. And so um, we came out just for extras that one night at Christine's house and had a blast. And then, you know, I became friends with everybody, and it was great. And, um was able to get a, I guess, a lead role. So that that really worked out. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, we were, you know, we were we were supposed to work together on a fistful of brains, but I had to pull out due to family issues. But we did get to work again on um, a short directed by uh, Misha Perez with Viper for Viper Productions called Unwelcomed. Uh, do you want to tell everyone a little bit about your role in that? Um, yeah, basically I pre- I played a prostitute, <laughs> so, you know, there's that. <laughs> um, it was a little role, but it was, uh, you know, it was important. I got killed, and it was awesome, and I, you know, skanked myself out, so it was super sweet. I looked good, and, you know, I love working with you on everything, so, and especially, you know, the other guys from, you know, the crew of uh, Fistful of Brains and Forever Dead worked on that as well, so it was, like, just a big family you know, every time I came on set, you know, it's easy when you're going on set and you know everybody because you can be yourself. There's no question about, like, anyone judging your character or just, you know, judging you in general. Um, so that was so much fun. And I, it's funny, I, like, have pictures from set of when, you know, the scene where uh, me and the other girl die. And they look so real, like your makeup skills. Like it, it looks so real that I kept getting the picture flagged on Facebook. And I was like, yo, I just put like a caption, like, yo, this isn't real. Like clearly I'm smiling and I'm telling you I'm alive right now. Like, um, you know what I mean? And people kept reporting it and reporting it, thinking it was like legit. I still have that problem to this day. <laughs> it's funny to me because I'm like, hell yeah, report. I'll just keep adding it. Like this is awesome. You know, I mean, it, and it's funny because I, I remember showing my mom and I was, like, 17 at the time, I, I showed my mom, and she was, like, genuinely, like, grossed out and just, like, Jacqueline, no. It's <laughs> like, But, you know, and I've met your mom. Your mom your mom and I get along really well. And I think it was, it was funny. You know, we had um, the same guy from um, Forever Dead, Bill Mulligan, who has assisted me a lot of times on makeup projects. Um, and I've oh, yeah, assisted him. There. Yeah, Bill, yeah, Bill was, was there. Mom, and, yeah. and, you know, I thought that was a, that was a really fun shoot. So It was. Yeah, I mean, Bill's great. He's he's great in makeup, and he's, you know, a super funny guy, and, and you can tell, you know, and, um, and it's just full of brains and uh, forever dead that the the, com- the comedian in him was coming out, and it was it was a good time. Those were the good well, old days. Well, an interesting days, note right? for, 
for those that are looking up anyone that we're talking about, the interesting part about Bill Mulligan in particular is the fact that um, he's a high school science teacher. So a lot of the stuff that we used makeup-wise was stuff that, that, you know, he used as a teaching implement. Like instead of uh, uh, buying like a lot of latex and things like that, you know, Bill made his own stuff, uh, and, and it just turned out fantastic. I absolutely love working with him and hope the yeah. three of us can get together and work again on something soon. Yeah, that'd be great. Well, to give I'm, sure students, oh, I'm sure his students do I'm sure his students love hearing. Oh, yeah. Working on like That's where a lot of the extras came from too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, to fill everyone in tonight on tonight's episode of the show, uh, at eight forty-five this evening, we will we will be interviewing actress and model Christine Faulkner of Midsummer Mid. Blah, blah, blah. I wish I could it's speak a, it's right. It's a word jumbler. No, it is. It is. It is. But uh, <laughs> Midsummer Nightmares Two. Summer's End. So we will be speaking with her about the film, uh, the things that went into making it, being an actress in general. Um, she also uh, suffers from cystic fibrosis, so she's going to talk to us a little bit about that tonight as well. Uh, I want to say hello to my good friend and rep out at Metal Blade Records, Kelly. Kelly, thank you for all of the music that you are supplying for the show. Tonight's guest artist or featured artist on the show will be cattle decapitation for those of you that are metal fans <laughs> and we will also later on at the end of the show be discussing shout Fa- shout scream factory's new re- blu-ray release of john carpenter's prince of darkness and we will be doing a giveaway later on in the evening but before we start getting to all of that uh we have our news segment for the evening and uh, this is just news tidbits over the week that I have found interesting and, and I thought we would talk about for a few minutes before we get into other things. Uh, the first thing that we'll discuss this evening uh, came to my attention off of Fangoria.com, and that is Clive Barker has announced the completion of uh, the Damore Pinhead novel, The Scarlet Gossiples. Now, for those of you that may not know, um, Damore was um, – was the main character in um, why am I drawing a blank on that movie? I feel so dumb right now. Uh, Lord of Illusion. Hellraiser. That was That's... it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I drew a blank there. And of course, we all know who Pinhead from Hellraiser is. But uh, this has been speculated on for years about having the character of Harry Demore uh, go up against Pinhead. Uh, of course, the name of the the book is The Scarlet Gospels. And Clive uh, went on his Facebook and uh, had made the comment that, uh, I thought you might like to know that The Scarlet Gospels, a large novel which sets Harry Damore against the hell priest Pinhead, is finished and has been delivered to my agent. He does not yet have a publication date for it, but as soon as he knows something, he will let the rest of us know. And he's not really releasing any kind of details on the book, um... He, he does go on to say, though, that there will be some graphic violence and a lot of perverse eroticism. So, <laughs> so what are your thoughts on? I mean, I mean, I take it you've seen. I know you've seen Hellraiser, um, and I take it you've seen Lord of Illusions. What do, What are your thoughts on this? I mean, this is something that that a lot of fans have been talking about for a while now. Okay, so I actually have not seen Lord of Illusions. I've definitely seen Hellraiser. Um, I know, I know, I know. I know, and my friend Justin, he lo- he is obsessed. 
um, with Clive Barker's stuff, and he always used to talk to me about his stuff. And, I, you know, I just, I don't know if it's just because I never had any movies. It was never, like, right there for me to watch. So I just, it was, like, out of sight, out of mind. But he, I know he's freaking out right now um, about this, like, revelation of these two people going against each other. Um, I will totally love to see it. I think Clive Barker's great in a sense to where you never, you don't really hear about him. Like, the only time you hear about him is when something huge is happening. But he's never in, like, the media. You know what I mean? He just kind of, like, stays out of it. You're right. (laughs) He does. He does. And, well, you know, Clive has come up recently because – Screen Factory is going to be releasing the Cabal cut of Nightbreed finally. So what I'm hoping – and I would love to see – I don't know how they would do it because there's there's talk of rebooting the Hellraiser series. But it would be oh, very God. interesting to see if we would get a comic adaptation or a film adaptation of this. But I think the only oh. way it would work is if you brought back Scott Bakula as Harry Damore from Lord of Illusions. And I just – I have a hard time envisioning anyone other than Doug Bradley playing Pinhead. Yeah. Well, but, yeah, I know go this ahead. is going to like go into the whole Leprechaun talk later, but I'm having that problem with a new Leprechaun as well. <laughs> you can't imagine anyone else but the original. Yeah, well, well, you know what? Let's let's go ahead and talk about that real quick then. Let's uh let's discuss the new Leprechaun. Let's- Let's discuss this, please, because I don't know how to feel about it. Well, I was looking up for those of you for those of you that may not have heard. Um, WWE Films had had acquired the uh, the rights to do a new Leprechaun film, and they cast one of their uh, they casted one of their wrestlers uh, who goes by the name of Hornswoggle on TV to replace Warwick Davis as the Leprechaun. Now, they really haven't released any concrete information, so to say, about what the film is going to be about. But what we do know, um, the director is Zach Lipovsky. I hope I said Mm -hmm. that right. And the title of the film is going to be Leprechaun Origins. Um, and this came off. Uh, this news bit came off of bloody disgusting. Uh, he's quoted as saying, "It's basically a complete refresh, reboot." He, he says, "We're not trying to copy or you know really do the same thing again," um, which is why they made so many of them because you know the formula was kind of successful. But he says that mm-hmm. they are going to go in a completely different direction with it. Um, being a fan of the original series, and I, you know, I even liked a lot of, of you know, the original, the original films in the series. Um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about someone else, you know, taking over the role that Warwick Davis made so popular. I mean, um, Warwick Davis, but they're talking is just about this a badass. <laughs> he is. He is. I mean, he is. <laughs> You know, but they're they're talking about you know this isn't going to be like you know a kitty movie or anything. They're they're pretty much going going for the blood, so to speak. And and that's kind of odd if you think about it. With um, me being a big pro wrestling fan, you know the WWE and Vince McMahon has pretty much gone to a you know PG rating to make the shows more fan friendly. And yet here we have WWE films releasing what's going to be a a hard R, very bloody film. So, what are your concerns with it? What is it? What is it that you're that you're not liking about this? Well, it's not really that. 
I don't really not like it. I'm just weary. Any time any movie is remade, it's just never as good as the original. You know, there's only been, like, I really, um, there's only been a couple of movies that I thought were good. But I just, I really liked Leprechaun. Like I said, Warwick Davis is just a badass. Like, Willow to Leprechaun, he's just a badass. So, I mean, I'm just like, I was Googling the actor, Dylan Post or whatever his name is, and there you can find some pictures of him, like, in a, like, for the Leprechaun Origins, I guess the, uh, it doesn't look like a legit poster, I guess, like, it was probably a fan poster or something, and I can kind of see it, I mean, I can, obviously, Warwick Davis had a crap load of makeup on, so, you know, he might be really scary, and it might be totally awesome, and it would be cool to make it go, you know, to, um, to a totally R, like, scary film, because, you know, all the Leprechaun movies were really just funny. I mean, they had some, like, jump moments, some jump scares in there for sure, because he's so little that it's just scary. But, I mean, overall, there was just so many laugh-out-loud moments where you're like, this is so silly. He's, like, running around on a little bicycle, like, what, you know what I mean? And it just wasn't, um, it wasn't, like, to be taken, like, complete, completely serious. So that'd be cool if they went in that direction and took it, like, really fucked up, you know, like, just, like, totally gory, scary, and, you know, there wasn't as much comedy. But we'll, well see. Well, I mean, and that's pretty, much, that's pretty much what I'm hearing from it. Um, and the other thing is, is, you know, they are talking about this being a theatrical release. So cool. uh, I think it'll be interesting to see where they take it. Um, yeah. But uh, we'll, we'll go on from there. Now... If you're a comic book fan like some of us are, there's been a lot of controversy recently with DC Comics and uh, you know the writers and stuff over there leaving the leaving the company due to things going on with the Batgirl series and them wanting to wanting to have the character marry her female fiance. Well, something else hit hit DC land and this isn't going over well either. Um, again, quoting our source from bloodydisgusting.com, uh, what we're looking at here is DC has put out a contest, um, and they want people to uh, – what's this? DC announced that it's, it's opening a talent search, I guess is what you could call it, for artists yeah. to draw a suicidal Harley Quinn. Now, for those of you who don't know who Harley Quinn is, Harley Quinn is the Joker's female assistant in the comics and the cartoons. And um, But what they've asked them to do is to draw a suicidal Harley Quinn in various questionable and, as, it's, as I'm quoting the article here, and sometimes naked scenarios for a chance to win a one-page feature in Harley Quinn Zero. Now, if that wasn't bad enough by itself, um, <laughs> September 10th, today, is the start of or Suicide Prevention Week. <laughs> Great job, DC. <laughs> you know, and, and funny, it's, dude. It, it, it is to a degree, and, you know, the article goes on the state that, you know, Harley has always been a very sexualized character, and, and that's true. Um, and she's definitely a crazy character. You know, her relationship mm-hmm. with the Joker, how abusive he is to her. Um, she's a member of a group called the Suicide Squad. Um, 
you know, but, but it, it, you know what? The Suicide Squad was meant, like, in, like, the 50s, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, because I don't really know a whole lot about comics, but the Suicide, suicide Squad, they were sent in to fight, not as to, like, let's all kill ourselves, but, like, because you're probably going to die in battle type of thing, right? Right, you're 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 correct in that, but, I mean, so it's... It's, like, I get how, they, I mean, they totally dropped the ball this week. That was just bad, bad timing, because it's not cool, you know, suicide is definitely nothing to laugh about, um, but I've it's yeah. How did they not realize that? Don't they have people that that's their job, <laughs> like to make sure? Oh my god. Uh, quality control. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you yeah. on that. It's you know, it's 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 kind of funny. It's how many you know. It's not just kids that read comics. You know, I want to get that out there. There are adult themed comics, but yeah. You know, you know it's. I understand that people have a lot of problem with the depiction of violence towards women and, and things like that. But, you know, those of us that are in the industry that we are, especially, you know, the horror film industry, you know, it's kind of an accepted part of, you know, what we do and what we cover. Um, you know, is, you know, do you, do you kind of feel like maybe this is, is society being a little, you know, is it a knee-jerk reaction over this? Or, or do you think that there's really valid complaints over this and, and, and the content that they're talking about. I mean, that character has been been around for so long. It's. I feel like people, as the as the, the years pass, people are just finding more and more things to kind of complain about. Like, like this isn't a character that was made up yesterday. You know, that would be so wrong, I guess, in society because she's over sexualized and, you know suicidal or you know whatever she does but since it's been around forever um that's it's just been there i don't know if i'm making any complete sense at all no i mean i understand exactly what you're saying you know it's just now people are like okay granted the taking not taking away from what happened like totally dc like that was just bad timing that is not cool it's national suicide week like prevention week or whatever um you know, God, it's like making me like, oh God, I can't believe they didn't realize that because I'm sure that guy is just like throwing his head against <laughs> the wall. Like, how come? If he still has a job, he's like, what? holy crap. But um, I mean, honestly, if it wasn't Suicide Prevention Week, this wouldn't be in the news. You know what I mean? Like, there wouldn't be a big thing about her. It was just bad timing because that's always who's that's always the character she's been, and people love her. Like, you see, you always see someone dressed up as Harley Quinn every Halloween. Every, oh, yeah. you know, um, every sci-fi convention or comic, you know, any kind of Comic-Con, like, there's always people dressed up like her, and, you know, it just sucks right now that this happened with the timing of the week. <laughs> really I agree, I agree. Well, well, to stay on offensive subjects, let's, let's, let's go to this one. Um, for those of you that may not have heard, we, um, Eli Roth has done a movie called Green Inferno. And it just got screened at the Toronto International Film Festival. Actually, it'll, uh, I believe it screened. Yeah, it screened Saturday. And apparently, the response was so great, and Eli feels so so much for this film that he has already announced uh, uh, Beyond the Green Inferno, which is going to be a sequel uh, to the film. 
And um, he's going on to say that it, he's going to make the sequel in the tradition of Aliens where um, everything gets, you know, it's bigger, it's darker, and it's and it's scarier. Um, the film from – I have not had a chance to see it yet, but from everything that I have heard about this film, think back to films like Cannibal Holocaust, Cannibal, Holocaust. Cannibal <laughs> Barracks. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. No, you I know, just and Cannibal Holocaust. When I was reading this, I was like, um, I'm pretty sure I've seen this before in the 1985 movie Cannibal Holocaust. It's like the exact same thing. I didn't like that, and granted, that had some stuff in it, <laughs> which is why oh, it was banned yeah, in the I mean, 1700s. <laughs> I mean, you're talking. You're, I mean, but you're talking about films that you know basically help shape the evolution of you know what we have today. You know, uh, yeah. you know, I don't necessarily agree with. A lot of the stuff that went on in, in Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferrix, you know, but you know those types of films are part of the reason why we have the standards now about no animal cruelty in films and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I, I I think it's kind of interesting though. It's things go in cycles, you know, in the horror industry, and you know, like zombies were big in the late '70s, early '80s. You know, they're big again now. Uh, you know, the slasher mm-hmm. films went away for a while. They came back. So now we've come full circle, and we've gone back to the, you know, to the cannibals and, you know, in the jungle and and people, in, you know, out there in, uh, in the jungle doing their thing. Um, it's hard to say at this point. Um, like I said, I don't know too much about the film at this at this point. Uh, it's definitely not screening anywhere in North Carolina that I'm aware of. No. <laughs> You know, we're not that yeah, lucky, I guess. You know? Definitely not. Rest of the world, you're lucky. Well, it just you know, showed but yesterday it, again. Where um, at? I don't. I don't know. I just said well, I was looking at the article, and I just said it screened again on the ninth, which was yesterday. I don't know where this is. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it was another convention or what, but I wonder. I wonder if they're going to do like a demand it type of ordeal with theaters. You know, you can demand it. I mean, it's hard to say. Like I said, I haven't seen too much technical info on the film. I don't even know what the film is rated at this point. Um, yeah. You know, but he's talking about teaming up with Aftershock director director Nicholas Lopez on this, and it's kind of nice mm-hmm. to see. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of Eli Roth. You know, I I enjoyed um, you know Cabin Fever. I enjoyed Hostel. You know, I, I enjoyed that yeah. kind of work. He. You know, he's good friends with, you know, Quentin Tarantino, uh, and we all know how much of a Grindhouse fan that Tarantino is, you know. He was a big fan Mm -hmm. of films like Cannibal Holocaust and, you know, Lucio Fulci's The Beyond, you know, things of that exploitive nature. Um, Especially with how PC the world is getting, I mean, do you feel like we're going to start seeing more of this? I mean, it's, you know, we've had remakes of Last House on the Left and I Spit on Your Grave, but, you know, Mm-hmm. Here's the next evolution. What's your thought? I mean, I didn't like Cannibal Holocaust. Um, Most people don't. I know. Who really enjoys that movie? I don't, I don't know. Um, I mean, it's cool. Like, I feel like the same thing happened in, like, Hostel, like, essentially. Somebody's going to get tortured. Somebody is going to die really gruesomely, like, and it's going to be horrible to watch. Like, these people are... You know, it's like a typical leaving the country, going to some random place in the Amazon, and you really, like, you hear about it in the news all the time, like, you know, another, what are they called? We're just like another group of people were found, and, of course, you know, they have their own rules, their, their tribe, and they're totally not civilized as far as, like, 
you know, in a big country like what we – God, I sound really dumb right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> do you follow me at all? I can't I, I do. Well, I mean, yeah, there's you know, groups of people going into the jungle, you know, whether or not I they mean, treat – what do you think you're going to find? Like, do you really think you're just going to find people sipping tea? Like, no, it's the damn jungle. <laughs> so well, you know, but, a, I mean – but that's where films like Cannibal Holocaust actually brought up a good point. While some of the graphic material that we saw in those films is, you know, extremely vivid, um, the film also pointed out that while we think that we are civilized, we're not. Yeah. If you right. look at how the filmmakers treated the natives, and it's not like the natives just jumped out and started eating and killing the people. Oh you no! Know, they I were mean, very. The were pissing me off. Yeah. Yeah, they were very abusive towards the villagers and, and, you know, the wildlife and, you know, and, you know, say what you want in a roundabout way, those people pretty much got what they deserved. So it's uh, yeah, very I mean, interesting. They were, they were climbing in their villages, snatching their people up and trying to rape them. Like, legit. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was terrible, <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, what goes around comes around just because we think we're civilized and we walk into the jungle doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to walk out, you know, as, as, mm. as, King of the Jungle, however you want to put that. So yeah. the the last bit of news before we get to our first musical interlude and our interview this evening, I'm sure everybody in the world knows that they have remade RoboCop. And, you know, Jackie, of course, knows my feelings on, on remakes are not kind, but... So they've released really, several yeah. trailers online. Um, the costume, the, you know, the armor kind of looks the same from the first one. There's a few differences. that They've gone more black with it. Um, the mm-hmm. film is set to be released on February 7th of next year. Um, it's directed by Jose Padilla, and it's going to have Gary Oldman, Michael Keaton, Abby Cornish, Jay Baruchel. Yeah. Ooh, I feel yeah. bad saying yeah. that. Samuel Jackson, Amy Garcia, Jennifer Ellie, Jackie Earl Haley, and Joel Kinnaman as Alex Murphy, RoboCop. Um, I take it you've seen the original RoboCop. What do you? What are your thoughts on them remaking this? Where do you feel like that they can go with this? I, I'm not happy about like people just okay. People just need to come up with their own ideas because there's no like why why. Why bother remaking this? But I can, I mean, I'm saying that about Leprechaun. Like, why don't you just leave them alone? There's a million more ideas out there to make movies with. Even if you wanted to go along the lines of RoboCop, but just make it a little different. So it's not RoboCop. Like, I just don't understand why people. I mean, it's just, I just, I don't like, I don't really like remakes. I'm not, not too excited. Granted, Gary Oldman is awesome. Michael Keaton is my favorite. Um, you know, everybody else. Jane, yeah, so like well, Samuel he's in everything Jackson. these days. <laughs> he is, but he's awesome. Like he doesn't fail in anything. So I mean, I think the acting and stuff is going to be on point. I mean, just from the trailer, it looked good. You know, it looked enthralling and um, you know, interesting, but I just I just don't like remakes, man. I'm like, come up with your own idea. There's there's a million a million different ideas. And of course, you know, nowadays so many films have been a million and 20 million movies have come out. And so it's hard to not have 
something in common with another movie, but it doesn't have to be the exact same movie, you know? Oh, I agree. And, you know, you saying that brings up an interesting point. Uh, What happens to the character of Alex, RoboCop, is in this movie, uh, unlike the first one, if you remember in the original, he was basically, I mean, he was shot to death. But, I mean, it was very gruesome. I mean, like, they blew his hand off with a shotgun and all this. In this film, uh, they're kind of taking it in a different direction where um, he's injured, basically burned over. I think it was third and fourth degree burns over, like, 80 or 90 percent of his body due to a car bomb explosion. And from the trailer as well, it looks – what's that? Wasn't his leg missing and he's, like, paralyzed? Yeah, like he's like he can't move. Forty, you know, like I said, eighty to ninety percent fourth degree burns. And what they do is they basically drop what's left of his body into the robot. Now, where it looks mm-hmm. like they're going into to more depth is they're talking about how much more uh, his his personality leaves the robot. And the mm-hmm. other thing is is that they're going to focus more. It looks like from the trailer. He's going to have a lot more interaction with his wife and his son after he becomes RoboCop, which we did not really see in the original. It was alluded to, and he he dreamed about it, had 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 you know vivid vivid memories, but we we never saw him interact with his wife other than the one time she went and saw him, uh, you know, in the docking station in, in the police department. Yeah. So you know you know, you know what I kind it's, it's going to be pretty interesting. What's that? Okay, so you know, it, it came. The original came out in '87, and the plot of it it took place in the near future in Detroit, and when Detroit was on the verge of collapse due to financial ruin and unchecked crime. Like, yo, this is that time. Detroit has filed bankruptcy. Like, isn't that kind of ironic? I mean, yeah. I mean, you're right. <laughs> if, you, if you think about it, you know, like, the craziness kind of, of it all. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't like thought of it is, that way, but... They can totally go shoot it in Detroit right now. <laughs> they could, yeah, they think could. About that. Um, <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's it, it's it's kind of interesting, you know, to to think about it. I mean, as technology has progressed, you know, when we first looked at RoboCop back in 87, you're like, nah, that could never happen. But you look at a mm-hmm. lot of advances now in the medical field, especially due to soldiers coming back from, you know, overseas combat and and, oh, totally. you know, the new technologies and prosthesis and and things like that, you know, is RoboCop? Mm-hmm. Maybe not to the extent that we're seeing right now, but, you know, do you feel like RoboCop could be something that's viable in real life in a couple of years? Definitely. I mean, they've got, like, um, dro- you know, drones going out all the time. I mean, who knows what the government is planning that we just don't know about. But, of course, I can totally see it happening. I mean, with all the technology – I mean, they're coming out with new phones every five seconds. Like, they can't make a suit. It's like an Iron Man. But, you know, of course, yeah, no doubt about it. But it's headed there. Definitely headed there. Definitely. And, yeah, it, it is kind of crazy when you think about it. I mean, haven't, didn't you see that video on YouTube a couple of years ago about that, that dog? It was like, it's not a real dog, but I forgot the name of it. But it's a it's like a dog drone, like a robot dog. And it's got, and like, it the four walked, legs and stuff? Yeah, and it, it scared walk on me to death. Door. I was like, this is scary. Yeah, and that was years ago. So, like, of course this could happen, especially because it's essentially just a suit that you put somebody in. It just, you know, in this movie, it, you know, kind of takes over 
his body and it changes or whatever. But, I mean, essentially all it was was a suit just to kind of fill him out again. That's I don't true. know. It's like a lot said, to think you, about. And you bring it up the fact that, you know, if you look at what Detroit, the city of Detroit's going through and declaring bankruptcy <laughs> and, you know, in society now we're talking about, you know, privatization of prisons and things like that. Yeah, it, it, it is kind of creepy when you think about that. So. I wonder how much the budget's going to be because the budget was only like thirteen million for the original. Well, you know, it was pr- it's probably four or five times that easily. Oh, because easily. Pra- you know they probably didn't go with a lot of practical effects, and that'll be one oh, interesting thing enough. to see with uh, Green Inferno is uh, how much mm-hmm. they went with practical effects versus computer effects. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. But uh, that'll close out our news segment for the evening. So we're getting ready to have our first music interlude this evening. And of course, I had mentioned before that our musical interlude for the our musical spotlight this evening will be on Metal Blade Records' "Cattle Decapitation." And boy, these guys—you know—if you're a metal fan, these guys are something else. You know, you can argue that these guys are, you know, death metal, gore metal, grindcore, death grind, whatever you want to call it. But I would have to say that right now, you know, these guys are up there in terms of of metal bands that I really like. You know, being a fan of Cannibal Corpse and and things like that. This CD in particular, they've kind of expanded a little bit more on the sound that they used in 2009's The Harvest Floor. And we're starting to get a lot more melodic sounds in certain songs, more chorus and and, and things like that. So this evening, our first song from Cattle Decapitation, off of their new album, Monolith of Inhumanity, the title song of the, or the track song is Your Disposal. So sit back and enjoy five minutes of cattle decapitation and when we come back we will begin our interview with actress and model christy faulkner
and welcome back to The Calling Hours with your host, the dead man, Michael Jones from Horror Society, and actress Jacqueline Martini from such films as The Forever Dead and A Fistful of Brains. <laughs> How you doing, sweetheart? What do you think so far? We're talking to me? I'm loving it. Of course. How come I didn't do this before? This is great. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this evening, our special guest is actress and model Christine Faulkner. Christine Faulkner right now is the one of the stars of the upcoming film called Midsummer Nightmares 2, Summer's End. Christy, Christy, are you there? I am here. Hi, Christy. How are you this evening? Good. How are you guys? Excellent, excellent. Let me let me introduce you to my guest co-host this evening. She is a fellow actress, and she has done some modeling herself. Um, this is one of the young ladies that I have worked with on, on a couple of projects. Her name is Jacqueline Martini. I think the two of you will have a great time talking to each other this evening. Awesome. Hey, Christy. <laughs> hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm creeping on your Facebook page right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being, uh Blown it up with this tonight, so hopefully we got a lot of people listening. Good, so. good. Oh, yeah. we'll get we'll get plenty of listeners. You you do not have to worry about that. I just want <laughs> you to come on, have a good time, and talk about talk about your film career. And um, you know, I let the audience know that you know we'll be talking about cystic fibrosis in a little bit. And awesome. So, what what would you like to tell everyone about yourself first and foremost? Um, well, I've actually been modeling that for two years and just recently transitioned to acting, which um, I absolutely have just fallen in love with. Um, director Ryan Stacy, he uh, actually had found me on Model Mayhem and offered me a role in his uh, short film, Ladies' Night, which was the first film I had ever done. So I was so nervous and um he just has a calming quality about him to where he made me feel so comfortable and everybody that I came in contact with was absolutely just wonderful, helped me out, gave me lots of uh, things just to learn about and know about within the industry. Um, and then with Midsummer, unfortunately, uh, the star um, in the first one, due to scheduling conflicts, couldn't... Um, keep the role so I kind of was her understudy and auditioned and got it and so we had uh, wrapped up on that movie on Thursday so can't wait to see that and hopefully some new projects come my way from maybe somebody seeing me in Ladies Night or Midsummer so I'm really excited on this whole new um, acting adventure so Okay, and if you have any other tips for me, let me know. <laughs> Do what? Of course. I said, if you have any she tips did. for me, let me know. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I just added you on Facebook. So if you see somebody, that's me. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about um, Ladies Night and the concept behind the short. Uh, <laughs> Ladies Night is about three girls that are kind of uh, not m- – not mentally stable, I guess, in my opinion. <laughs> they kind of um, prey on men and do some nasty things um, that – I don't want to give the whole movie away or the whole short away. Oh, no, no, but, no, no, no. Uh, just whatever, whatever details uh, you can give us. Yeah, it's just they 
prey on men, I guess. So they go after men. I yeah, would call it's, men it's on the genre but, where, where yeah, women are more yeah, the protagonists awesome. than men. Right, exactly, and that's what I liked about it. So, yeah, that's it, it was awesome. It was so much fun. So Yeah, Jackie, Jackie's had her hand in, in killing a few men on film. <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> it's, it's always fun. fun. <laughs> it is fun. Yeah. You get your anger out on boyfriends, ex-boyfriends, whatever. Oh, yeah. Kind of therapeutic. Mike now, is if, nervously if, laughing now. Oh, I'm not nervous. I'm the dead man. You can't kill what's already dead. <laughs> My ex-wife couldn't kill me. No one else can. So I think I'm good to go on that one. There you go. So if if someone wants to purchase Ladies' Night, um, where would you send them? Um, well, we just were selling them at Horror Hound in Indianapolis. That was, like, the first release of it, and I actually got to hold it in my hand. I was so excited. Um, and you can also purchase it on uh, conceptmediafilms.com, and it will also be available at Horror Hound in March in Cincinnati. So. And that's where you're from, correct? That's where I'm from. I will be there. A hometown girl at her own hometown convention. You can't beat that yeah, with a Yeah, I can't. I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait. Well, one of the things, you know, and Jackie and I can very much relate to this. You talked about what it was like to actually hold it in your hand and see it. Mm-hmm. Kind of tell mm-hmm. the audience and people who, who haven't worked on film what it's like. Like for us, when, when Forever Dead came out, we actually had – I was not able to attend, but there was actually a, a, uh, like a release party at our local Suncoast. And, you know, there were a bunch of people that showed up and and stuff like that. And, you know, I know that, you know, I've gone into Walmart. You know, some of my other films have been on sale. And it's – explain to the people what it's like to actually see and hold your product after you've worked on a film. Oh, man. Um, It was – it just felt good to know that I accomplished that because – it's different seeing the you know you can see the pictures all day long on Facebook or on the internet, but to actually like, oh my God, I can hold this, and then somebody asks you to sign it and they buy it, and it's like, holy crap! Like this is it just it seems unreal. It doesn't even seem like it's really happening at the time. So um, it's almost it's it's hard to explain, but it's just an accomplishment. It's like I did it. It's here. I have proof. I can take a picture with it, <laughs> and I right. can show yeah. people. You can take it with you instead of emailing a picture. You know, I mean, it's just completely different. So it was, it's, it's really cool. Jackie, you want to jump in with something for a minute? No, I mean, I agree. I, there was nothing like getting that Forever Dead copy for the first time, especially because yeah, I was blessed enough to be able to go to that Sun Coast and like sign it for people which I was like laughing about because I'm like this is not real life right now you know mm-hmm. this is so strange and people were like genuinely interested you know and um, it was funny because it, it was in my hometown too so I actually saw people that I went to high school with walking around in the mall and they were staring at me like hey that's Jacqueline what is she doing signing things at the movie store and I was just like waving you know and we were never friends and it was it was like that little moment where you just smile and you're like this is where I want to be <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yep. It was awesome. Now, let, now let me ask you that because you know I, I know I've experienced it and Jackie has experienced it. Now that you have a CD or you know a DVD out, how do people treat you differently now? I mean, you know, it's. I remember, you know, when Forever Dead came out, people were, you know, used to joke, oh, you know, you're working on a low-budget film. All of a sudden, when it came <laughs> out, there's some people that were knocking you all of a sudden want to be your best friend. You know, uh, it's, it's funny that you say that because I'm all of a sudden hearing from people I haven't heard from in, like, 10 years. <laughs> right. So, it, it's a little weird, but, yeah, but um, I don't – I, I just I haven't had really any negativity or anybody truly treat me any different. I, I'm a big goofball, you know. Anybody that knows me, I'm goofy. I like to have fun and and just live it up. And I don't know. I I don't think anybody's gonna see anything different in me than you know than it than before. Except that what I'm doing is just different from what they're doing. I guess so. Maybe that'll change and right. you know down the road, but. Other than just hearing from people that I haven't heard from in a long time, I guess that's the only thing that's really going on right now. So okay, now and I don't hate and, it. And <laughs> now being a big fan of the genre as I am, you know, I've had the chance to meet you know plenty of actors, you know, Michael Berryman, Sonny Landham, you know, people along those lines, and you know, it's at first being being a fan, it's hard not to be starstruck when you meet someone and. You know, like, I was so excited to meet Michael Berryman and, and, and get him to sign my copy of, you know, the original Hills Have Eyes and all that. Mm-hmm. Since you just, it was just released at you know, uh, at the convention and, and you were there, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. was it like the first time somebody asked you to autograph something? How How did that feel? It felt weird. Actually, <laughs> the director, Ryan Stacey, wanted me to sign uh the mask from the first one. I was like, what do you mean? Why do you want me to sign this? He's like, you need to practice and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, whatever. And then when it actually happened, I'm like, it just doesn't feel normal. It just doesn't feel, I don't know. It's it's weird because I, I mean, I don't see myself as any, I'm just in this DVD, you know, pop me in, okay, I'm there. But I don't, I don't know. It was, it was different. But I don't, maybe it just hasn't hit me yet or nobody's, seen it as much as I would like them to, so hopefully this will help. Go see Ladies Night and of course midsummer when it comes out. But um I don't know, we shall see. Maybe I need to I don't know, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> what what are your thoughts on that, Jackie? Because I know you've you've done several conventions as well and, and autograph signings. what is your thought on that? I mean that's the best part. You know? <laughs> and I mean for real though, that's the best part, just being able to talk to people and, and not to mention um, you know, talking to other people in the industry to possibly, you know, to book something in the future just to um, hang out and, and especially if the fans come and they, you know, come up and, and they just give you a little bit of interest. I, I always jump down like, yeah, you know, look at this trailer. You're going to love it. It's going to be awesome. Like, I live for that. That I'm a big social freak anyway. So anytime I was at a convention, I was like engaging with everybody and, and, you know, just practically throwing my headshots at people, like, this is great. I'm having the time of my life, plus, you know, every convention has, like, a party night, so that was awesome, and, you know, I went to, I've been to a couple different ones, um, but I remember Kanuga back in 2008, it was the first time that they had, um, the first time it had started, first year, 
and um, it was probably the best best time ever. Everyone threw this huge party in this hotel, and because there was it was a, because it was the first year, there wasn't a lot of guests there. So this, the, you know, like the maybe ten twenty guests that were there just got a lot of attention, and everybody got to know each other really well, and it was just a really good opportunity. And I'm sure, you know, like you, you're going to get to mastering that autograph, girl. I'm so excited for you. Like, you are in for it. Like, this movie of yours, you're going to look back in a couple years, and it might not seem like a big deal now, but it's a huge deal. And you're going to, like, never, you're never going to be able to forget it, you know? It's going to kickstart you, and that's awesome. I'm excited. I'm ready for it. Now, now, two things with this, you know. Now, was was that your first horror convention? Yeah, it was, and I fell in love. They called it having the, I guess the the bug, <laughs> and I'm like ready for March. I cannot wait. Like I went home and watched Scream of all movies. We just were watching, but I was like, I have to watch the Freddy Krueger movies. I have to watch all this stuff now because I grew up so scared of it all, and now I'm like obsessed. <laughs> I just love now, it. I it, fell in love with it all. Funny that you say that because my my sister was the same way as as a child growing up. Man, I used to terrify the hell out of her <laughs> with horror movies and Fangoria magazine and all that. And then, uh, you know, Jackie had the opportunity to to uh, I think she was there the day my sister and my brother in law were on set. And then my daughter came out when she was four years old to be a zombie in that as well. But it's <laughs> What did what did you take away from the experience of being at a convention? Like, what were your what were what were your thoughts before you went, and then what were your thoughts after the convention? Well, like I said, growing up, I mean, I wouldn't even watch the movie Jaws. I mean, that's how much of a chicken I was of stuff. So going into this, I'm like, are people going to be jumping out at you? Like, is it going to be like a huge haunted house? And like, do I have to like constantly be paranoid? But it was so cool to see like the fan base of it that people generally love this stuff and they're just like diehard fans of just not the big stuff but like the independent films too and that's what I thought was really cool was that um, you know some people that's why they went there is for the the small films the independent films getting to learn um, you know the stuff that you know, nobody else might know right now. You know what I mean? And I thought that was really cool and that a guy actually came up and uh, was waiting for Sean Burkett, who um, also works with uh, Concept Media. And I just thought that was really neat that he was, like, there to see him. He was there, like, waiting for him. Like, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And um, the, the people are different, too. Um, you know, I'm a very non-judgmental person. And just seeing all these different people, like, dressed up and, they could look crazy, but they're just the nicest people. It's just, I don't know, it's really cool and it's really different. And I'm learning that with the acting world as well, is that people are just very supportive and have your back and want you to succeed. Whereas kind of sometimes in the modeling world, it's not so much like that. So I'm really, really oh, well, now that Now that's a good tie-in because you do modeling, and I know Jackie <laughs> has done a little bit of modeling. Um, we'll start with you, Christy. How okay. – since you since you started with it, how would you compare modeling to working on film? Do you find one to be easier than the other? You know what what nuances do you like about one over the other? Uh, with modeling, I 
I love modeling and um, meeting the photographers and people within the business. Um, but with acting, I just, it's, you can find these emotions. You can really get into character. And that's what I always say with having cystic fibrosis is like, um, I can get out of my reality, my, my, my hospitalizations, my treatments, my medications, and come into a role where I can be, if you want to say normal, which in my opinion, nobody's really normal, but I can be somebody else. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's a great feeling for me to just to do that. Where, you know, with modeling, you can also be a character, and they want the emotion behind that as well. But um, it's just something about acting, man. I just, I'm digging it. I love it, and I, I don't want to stop. I just, I love it. What about for you, Jackie? Really, what, do you, what, do you, what are your thoughts? Um, no, I just like how you put that about how it just kind of makes you forget about all the crap that you've been mm-hmm. through in your life. That's awesome. Right. Um, no, I mean, I've, I've done, I actually did modeling before acting and um, never never any runway. I saw that you did a lot of runway. That's awesome. I wish mm-hmm. I'm like 5'3", dude, so <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's awesome, and, and I, I love it. I mean, I'm a, kind of a camera hog, I guess. And, mm-hmm. I mean, that's sometimes a good and a bad thing, but... You know, when that camera mm-hmm. comes out, I'm just hamming it up. And so, I, you know, I, I love doing that. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, don't bring the cameras around the doggy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, when <laughs> you laugh, but it's true. Um, so that's yeah, I'm not kind much of, of the model I, type. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the only thing they'd have like me modeling are chainsaws and hockey masks, maybe. Hey, but that's okay. That's your, that's your niche. Yep. You know, like that's there what you, you would do. And, you know, I myself, like, I've got, you know, a bunch of tattoos. Like, I've always got some edgy, my hair, mm-hmm. you know, my hair is always something. Um, but I I always love doing modeling if I'm not doing acting. It's kind of the same thing to me, you know. And mm-hmm. and besides, you can get so much more beautiful with modeling. Not And I don't mean, like, like you or like me, but, like, beautiful as in, like, editing, the editing process. Mm-hmm. Like, the picture can just be so awesome looking in yeah. the set design. And, you know, it's you can have outtakes and they're going to be funny and you don't have to waste yeah. anybody's time, you know, because you have to reshoot mm-hmm. it. And, and so I just, I love them both, but yeah, the, there's definitely, I feel like a lot more plus side to doing modeling than, than okay. today, you know, acting. Mm-hmm. Now, now going along with that though, you know, considering what you can do to, you know, getting away from real life, as you said, I agree, you know, there was nothing I liked more than, uh, you know, being on the set of Forever Dead and bashing someone's head in with a hammer. That night was fun. <laughs> but um, <laughs> which of the two, which of the two do you find to be more demanding, both physically and mentally? You know, is 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 modeling harder because of the, you know, all the time, you know, changing clothes and makeup and and hair and walking runways and being in locations, or is being on set more demanding to you? With me, um, this is going to tie back with my cystic fibrosis. Um, I'll never forget the first time I was told I was too fat to walk for um, an up-and-coming, big up-and-coming designer. And with CF, it's very, very hard to put on weight, so we constantly, we're supposed to eat about 5,000 calories a day. 
and oh, wow. I will never, ever, ever lose weight for anybody. So when that kind of started happening and um, yeah. I was just like, I can't, I, you know, if, if I'm, I just can't. <laughs> there's, there's no yeah. money, there's no anything that is going to put my health at oh. risk. And anybody with cystic fibrosis knows it is, it is hard to put on that weight and your, your weight and your lung function go hand in hand. So to put that at risk is, I wouldn't do that for anybody. So well, since, that, since you since you since you brought that up, um, you know, uh, as I mentioned at the at the top of the show and earlier, you know, you you do have cystic fibrosis. How, you know, of course, you just mentioned you know the thing with the weight and the modeling and stuff, mm-hmm. but in what mm-hmm. other aspects has cystic fibrosis made modeling and acting hard for you? And on the flip side of that. Um, because you're not you're not shy about having it, you know. When right. I started interviewing you for the the Deadly Beauty series, I mean that was one of the first things you told me. You just came right out and said right. it. Do you mm-hmm. do you feel like in a lot of ways that that helps you too? Because I mean I'm pretty sure that you're a champion for you know research and and stuff for cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. So can can you tell us how the, how that affects? how that affects you, and what kind of work you were doing with cystic fibrosis. Well, I went into modeling pretty much saying I'm going to do this purely to educate people because I knew, you know, I have scars on my stomach, I have a chest port, um, and I knew being in front of these designers, um, they're going to see all that. So, for me, it, it raises questions, and, you know, I have a breathe tattoo going down my side. I have just breathe on my arm, or um, breathe easy on my arm. I'm looking right at it, and I can't read, apparently. Um, <laughs> but that's, I, mean, that's, that's, I like that, because that's on that picture I have of you on the uh, right. on the interview, that x-ray picture. Yep. Yeah, yep. and that, that was for cystic fibrosis as well, um, which I just, people went crazy over that photo, but... I knew going into all this that that was my main focus. And there's so many young girls that have this disease that, you know, they have these big dreams, but um, they're in more of a severe case of CF than I am. So that's always my drive is just to get cystic fibrosis out there, you know, and and, um, let people know what it is. Nobody really knows about it. They call it like a small little orphan disease because only 70,000 people worldwide have this disease. Yeah. Can you um, explain to me and I guess the other listeners, because I'm not really sure what it is. Sure. And um, yeah, definitely. um, Cystic fibrosis is um, a life-threatening lung disease. Uh, It also affects um, the intestines, the pancreas, the liver. um, And I do. I'm 28 years old. Um, right now, the life expectancy is around 37, but um, yeah. you know that's average. So, uh, you know, I always say I will surpass that, and I will fight, and I'm going to outlive everybody. That's my whole thing. You, you will. Know, so, and there's um, nothing wrong but with I, that. I do. Right. Exactly. You have to have a positive mindset, and I think that has everything to do with your health as well. If you sit there and pity yourself and feel sorry for yourself, I mean. You you know you're going to be sick. That's how I kind of look yeah. at it. Even though we're we're kind of constantly sick, it's just you know a different way of looking at it. 
Um, I do four breathing treatments a day, um, and I also um, do a lot of home care. Um, but unfortunately for those with cystic fibrosis, you become resistant to a lot of the antibiotics that you take. So you almost kind of run out of options down the road and have to um, – you also become allergic to antibiotics. So you have to fight huh. through um, – a lot of stuff, just a lot, you know, it's it's a lot. I'm trying to, like, shorten it up, make it short and sweet. But um, kind of when you get into the final stages of CF, then you get um, put on the lung, double lung transplant list. I've also known um, some people that have had kidney transplants and liver transplants just because the antibiotics are so strong that it kind of, you know, it affects um, those organs as well. And I also take uh, five pancreatic enzymes every time I eat. So, because we cannot, like I said before, we can't digest the food. So, um, but a a girl that I know that has CF who, um, she's just such an inspiration. Um, She says we're warriors, and I I believe that too. And I'm not just saying that because of me. It's just um, so many kids I know. I mean, it's it's just crazy to see somebody so young, like, going through so much stuff before they're even 10 years old that even an adult who's 50 might not have even seen their whole life. Yeah. It's crazy. So, I mean, it, you know, but we're strong. We're, you know, I, I always knew I was different. Um, I went through a lot of bullying growing up, but it's just made me a stronger woman, and I'm not ashamed of talking about CF. I used to never want anybody to know, never, ever. Yeah. But now it's like, open and honest and it's all about education so so do you sorry um, I keep talking and talking please, and by talking. all means <laughs> if you if you have a charity or or events like that um if you you know let people you're more than welcome right now to tell if you, there's a charity that you that you particularly prescribe to please tell people what it is and how to get involved with it well i actually um went to boomer sison's charity event this this past year, and um, I've met him in the past, and his his son, Gunner, has cystic fibrosis. I think he's 22 now, Um, and the Boomer Sison Foundation has just, they're amazing with with CF. We did a, or they did a trap shoot. Um, I think it was way out in, oh, shoot, I forget now, but we were all shooting guns and and, um, doing this big trap shoot thing. It was awesome, and uh, had um, Jerry Cahill, who I believe he's 58 years old and had a double lung transplant. It, it just um, is always out there talking about cystic fibrosis and educating people and wrote a kid's book. And um, so the Boomer Sison Foundation is just absolutely amazing. And then you have your local chapters of the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation um, who actually next month, um, October 26th, I believe, is a run like hell with WEBN. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you know if you guys have heard of that, but they're, they're huge, um, at least here in Cincinnati. So if anybody local from Dayton or Indiana or whatever wants to get involved in that, that, that's huge. And they do a run like hell. You run through the graveyard at night, and then they have a, a party like hell afterwards. So you dress up in costumes, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, it's a blast. But um, yeah, awesome. the Fibrosis Foundation, Boomer Sison Foundation, they're both amazing. Okay, okay. Well, now, 
not, I'm not trying to dwell on the cystic fibrosis. I mean, I'm, I'm very proud oh, to, to hear you being out there and, <laughs> and, and, and doing this stuff. When it comes to film, um, I'll never forget. I, I know I told you this, and I, I'm pretty sure Jackie remembers this. My first day on set of The Forever Dead, I managed to get two concussions and break my middle finger in a 24-hour oh, shooting period. <laughs> so I'm one of those people, even though I'm relatively healthy, I refuse to do my own stunts for that reason alone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, due to the cystic fibrosis and your treatments and stuff, do you, mm-hmm. you know, can you do your own stunts? Are there certain things you can't do? Like for, for an example, something that the average person wouldn't think about is like fog machines, you mm-hmm. know, for for an everyday regular person in an enclosed room, a fog machine, yeah, you might cough, you might hack a little bit, but at the end of it, you can go outside and feel better. Are those the right. kinds of Is things that you have to think about before you do oh, a yeah. shoot? Or Okay. Definitely. And um, what's really cool is, uh, I know I keep bringing them up, but Ryan Stacy um, has had um, his own um, – I don't know how much he wants me to tell, but he has personal, um, knows, knew somebody with CF. And um, so he's always, are you okay? Do you need treatment? <laughs> Is everything okay? So he's kind of like a nurse slash friend slash doctor <laughs> on set already. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> um, no, it's yeah, not. Right. Everybody, everybody who, you know, somebody smoking like within 10 feet, I mean, he's like, you need to go over there. <laughs> so it's kind of no, cool because you know. I'll get so... Huh? No, and, and you know, yeah. and that's sad. You know, I'm a, I'm a cigarette smoker. You know, and I and uh-huh. I try to, I try to think about that kind of stuff on set because you never, you know, a lot of people won't give out those details about themselves. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm glad to see, you know, you and Jackie have that very much in common. If you don't like something on set, or you know, you see something that you know that's not right, you sound like the type of person that will stand up for yourself and say, hey, you mm-hmm. know, this is what's what. Right. You know, and, and, and I, I, I wish more I, actors and actresses were like that. Yeah, and I think because that was my first uh, film, feature film with Midsummer, is um, I think I, my mind was all over the place because just it was my first and I was worried so much about the script and, and doing, you know, everything else, whereas. I don't think I was that concerned with my breathing treatments or somebody smoking by me. Um, whereas now it's like um, I'm feeling the repercussions from me not necessarily taking as good as care of myself the past week as I should have. But um, And as far as the stunts go, um, man, I got my butt kicked, but it was a blast. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I risked a lot. I let the person who I was fighting with know I had a chest port on my right side and just to stay away from that other than that I'm good and we rocked it out but we were feeling it the next day I could barely walk I was flipping around I was like a granny I couldn't go up and down the stairs but um it was fun (laughs) I had fun it's worth it now at the time you're like yeah did I do this (laughs) yeah I can't wait to see the 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 movie now because of that so yeah the finished product I can't wait but well, you've awesome. mentioned you've mentioned um, Ryan several times and Concept Media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about you know Midsummer Nightmares too. Tell us tell <laughs> us about this film. Um, of course, we know how you met how you met him, but tell mm-hmm. us how you got involved with it and, and you know kind of 
kind of what it's about and, and what your character's about in the film. <clears throat> I um, play Audrey Small, who, um, if anybody has seen the first Midsummer, um, she, they, they, her, her friends throw a summer Halloween party. They call it, you know, Midsummer Nightmare Party or whatnot, and um, so that's where that comes comes into play. And um, there is somebody who does not like her and comes after her and her friends and murder uh, the other characters. But in the end, uh, Audrey ends up getting away. And in the second one, she, you can tell that she just hasn't taken it in. Like she, it's, it's three years later and she just hasn't um, been healthy, I guess, about it because she, you know, she's trying to take care of herself. She's trying to to exercise and do what she has to do. But I think she knows that it's going to happen again, that it's just not done. She has a weird feeling about it. People, her friends are coming to her, um, and she just is is not having it and has, a you know, kind of a bad attitude. And, um, and like I said, without giving too much away, um, just a lot of craziness starts happening and, uh, she has to um, fight her way to the end. Let's put it that way. So, so that's what I would what call can. the Lori. That's what I call the Lori Strode syndrome from Halloween. Uh-huh. And, and since we since we segued into that, that's something else that you and Jackie have in common. And I saw yeah, I'll get that. you both to answer to answer this one. Both of you list Jamie Lee Curtis as mm-hmm. one of the screen queens that inspired you. Um, mm-hmm. Both of you, and, and Christy, please, you first. Um, tell us what is it about Jamie Lee Curtis and the characters that she's played that inspired you, and who are some of the other screen queens that, that you draw inspiration from? I just, like I said, I, I never was too, I never, not that I didn't want to, I was just a chicken, but I, I did um, watch Halloween every time it would kind of would come on TV around Halloween time and um, finally built up enough nerve to watch that. And there, I don't know. I just always loved her in those movies. And um, I don't, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to answer this question, I guess, because I'm so new to the horror scene. Um, but I just loved her in Halloween. And to be honest, that's kind of the only horror movies I know I, sound terrible right now <laughs> being on horror society. No, but, I mean it's um no the truth is the truth though. There's something about that that her and that character that drew you to it. I mean is it right. was it her independence, her fighting will? It's just you know, strong, just strong woman. Yeah, just dealing with it and fighting through it and um yeah. So I'm sure Jackie could probably answer this question much better than me. Um uh, no I mean I just um you know, Jamie Lee Curtis was just in so many different films. And so, I mean, that's awesome because it wasn't just one and done. You know, it was just a constant. Everybody liked her, so she kept getting roles. So, I mean, you know, that's awesome. Like, that's that's just awesome. So I actually was reading your um, interview, and I had saw that, and I laughed about it. Um, so, I mean, she's great. She could, I mean, she's doing those Activia commercials now, but she's rocking it. You can rock that yoga. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, whatever. All right, now here's now here's a funny question. Let's we'll talk about 
horror in general for a moment, and especially as it pertains to women in horror. You know, you, you are both part of the Deadly Beauty series that I write for on Horror Society. And what I have found is, while I've, you know, while I found Christy, and of course, you know, knowing Jackie through the years, a lot of the actresses these days that I have sent requests out for that have done several horror films have gotten back to me on Facebook, and I, I'm not going to name any names. I'm not, you know, I'm not picking on anyone, but I'm curious to your your thoughts on this. A lot of these girls are telling me that while they want to act in horror films, they don't particularly think the title of Scream Queen is complimentary to a female actress. Hmm. What are your thoughts on the title of Scream Queen? And if you continue to go on and do more horror, would you be offended if someone used the title Scream Queen with your name and your career? Not me. I'll take anything with Scream in it. Yeah, I, like I uh that that makes me laugh because um I mean I get where those people are coming from but I think it's a really like egotistical way to think um because first of all you don't know if you're going to be getting any more roles in the future so you know what I mean you're being picky about it and second of all you know who knows like just in general who knows where you're going to be in 5 years yeah you can do 5 horror movies and if you want to look at yourself as a scream queen, fine, but then you could get this awesome, dramatic, you know, role that has absolutely nothing to do, and that will that will break it, if you want to call it that. You know, then you're not going to really... I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, she did all these horror movies, but nobody refers to her as, like... I mean, nobody really refers to her as a scream queen. You know what I mean? Because she's done so much Well, that's so because she got, she got out of doing it. Yeah. But, you know, interesting side fact to that, she... um. On Scream Factory's um, Blu-ray edition of The Fog, which they just released, that's the first time in almost 20 years she's ever done anything or talked about her early horror film career. You know, and she oh, makes wow. the statement that you know a lot of the films she didn't she liked the people she worked with, she appreciated the opportunity, um, and she feels like the term Scream Queen was coined for her. But um, it, 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 you know, it's kind of funny looking at how she basically turned her back on, on the genre. Um, so I take it, I take it, Christy, you're not, you're not concerned at all if, if horror films is all you do. I mean, uh, you, you know, that doesn't, well, you know, you would be happy with the title of Scream Queen. I would. I don't mind it at all, or I wouldn't mind it, not at all. I like. And I know it. Jackie doesn't mind. <laughs> I mean, you know what it is though, like. There is, okay, I get where these people are coming from thinking that it's, like, derogatory or just, like, just some crappy title because, you know, when you when I think of the women that scream, that are, like, screaming in movies these days, they're all dim-witted, you know, just the dumbest, and they get killed first. So, like, I get <laughs> how they, like, that sounds really rude, but for real, I mean, like, that's in movies, a lot of movies these days, it's just you don't get much of a fighting chance. And everyone just assumes that's what a scream queen is. But you look at movies from the 70s, it wasn't really like that. I mean, for instance, like Margot Kidder, you know, she did Amityville Horror. Yeah, she screamed throughout the movie, but it wasn't like that type of movie. Am I she wasn't sense? the helpless like, victim. Yes, helpless. That's that's exactly what I was looking for. A lot of people associate with scream queen with helpless. 
it's not the same thing. It doesn't have to be. It it can be, but it doesn't. Right. People just assume it's the same thing, and that's just, you know, like, I guess the chauvinistic or, you know, whatever kind of way of thinking, um, you know, it totally wouldn't bother me. I love horror movies. They're fun. Like, you, it's the most fun because it's, I mean, you obviously have to take it seriously to an extent, but, like, you're about to get your head cut off. Like, it's going to be fun. No matter how serious it is, it's going to be fun. <laughs> well, and a lot of people forget, too, if you look at a lot of your big-named actresses today, they most of them got their start in horror films. Yeah. Say what you want. Jennifer Aniston got her start in Leprechaun. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, let's let's be honest about it. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis in, in Halloween. I mean, we can yeah. go we can go through. I mean, you know, yeah, Sarah, you know, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller, you know, with the Buffy the Vampire. You know, Nev Campbell. Yes, she was doing Party of Five, and she was popular from that. But when did her career blow up? When she did Scream. Scream. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can point back to most of your big named actors and actresses these days, and go back, and I will bet you almost any amount of money that one of their first films mm-hmm. was a horror film. And yep, it's funny to me right. how that once once they quote-unquote make it, all of a sudden they turn their nose down at horror films. I think I think it's kind of sad. But hmm. Well, well, one of the I other guess... things I wanted to – go ahead. No, I just – I'm trying to, like, put myself in that position. I guess, you know – some people say, like, it doesn't really take a lot of talent just to scream and run around and be, like, that ditzy character. And, I mean, yeah, if you're that ditzy character, you know, not that it doesn't take a lot of talent, but in comparison to somebody who's, you know, um, some, like, overly dramatic role, giving birth or, you know, going through some crazy death, I can see where they're coming from, but... I'm like, I totally forgot what I was going to say. There I go. You can, like, this is what happens. You get me on a roll, I, like, interrupt y'all, and I just go on a rampage. <laughs> I've been known Continue to do that, what too, you were so saying. I'll, it'll or come, come up in a few minutes. minutes. Yeah, yeah, just give it a few. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about this because we're we're starting to get to – we got about five minutes left in the interview here. But one of the other things that you had mentioned to me and I and I thought was interesting is um, – and when I first read it, I hope this doesn't sound wrong. The first thing I thought of was was Fabio, in a sense, and I think you know where I'm going. Oh Lord, um, I do. You, you had <laughs> you had stated that um, I think it was in October that you are going to be on the cover of several romance books that will be available through Barnes and Nobles. Yes. Tell us October how you got involved 1st. with that. Oh, I tell you what, it was funny. It was Model Mayhem. <laughs> Um, the, um, the company that they're, hot, they're called Hot Damn Designs, um, found me on Model Mayhem and a lot of the book, a lot of the romance book covers use, um, you know, obviously not all, but, um, like the, the pale skin, um, because, you know, back in the day, um, pale skin was like the more ritzy because um, you weren't doing your work outside. You, you know, if you have the pale skin, you're richer or whatever. That's what I was told. I don't know if it's true or not. This is what they had told me. Um, so bringing that kind of beauty with the pale skin to the covers um, with the red hair 
um, is what they were looking for. Um, and I've noticed a lot with that with that company. They do use a lot of redheads and pale skin. So I was lucky enough to fill that. And the actual first cover that I will be on, um, available for purchase October 1st, is author Jane Rylan. Um, and I'm really excited about it. I think that's going to be really cool to be able to walk into a Barnes & Noble and we go, there I am, right there. Now, are these going to be like like actual <laughs> photos, or are these artistic renditions of you? I mean, they're the, the Did you know how like a lot cover. of romance novels have that painted look to them? Um, yeah. I mean, the one thing with the, the picture I can say, I hope I can say, is um, one of the guys, it's the one cover, I don't know if you've seen it, with the four guys on it with me. And it looks very. I don't think I haven't. I don't think I've seen that one yet. Okay. Um, well, one of the guys is photoshopped in there, and um, my hair was photoshopped brown. So that's really the only difference hmm. with that photo. It didn't look very from the original to the cover. It looks now in person. It might be different. I don't know. But from right. what I've seen, those are the only changes I saw with the actual photo that was taken. Okay, okay. Well, um, before we let you go, um, I, I definitely want you to get your stuff out there. If people want to get in touch with you, whether it be fans, directors, producers, whatever, what are the best ways for people to get in touch with you? Um, probably Facebook, um, just under my name, Christy Faulkner. Um, I also have an Instagram account, uh, Christy underscore Faulkner, and I have a Twitter, um, at crazed underscore Christy F. So, okay. Try to keep it easy. Well, I mean, thank you so much for coming onto the show and and telling us oh, about no your work and and the things you do, um, all your great work with cystic fibrosis. Um, would you like to give everyone the? Uh, do you have a release date for Midsummer Nightmares Two yet? I don't. It's, I don't know. I'm 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 knowing. I think it's going to be before uh, March, hopefully. So. But and are we I looking will... at that for the film festival circuit? I'm hoping. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, once again, we want to say thank you on behalf of myself, Jackie, and Horace Society, and, of course, the Calling Hours podcast. Thank you for coming on to the show. You are welcome on the show anytime. <laughs> anytime you have news, anything. Please feel free to contact me. I'd love to have you on again. You know, I can put you in Jackie's role next time, and you can come on as one of my guest hosts. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, it was great talking to you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Well, Thanks for having me. Not a problem. Christy, thank you so much. And thank we you. are look. Thank you. And we are looking forward to hearing more from Christy in the future. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is 9.30, and once again, it is that time. Just throwing it out there again, our medical – or medical uh, – what am I saying? Our musical special this evening is Metal Blade's Cattle Decapitation. Once again, off of their current album, Monolith of Inhumanity, we are going to listen to The Gristle Liquor. So go get a drink, do what you need to do. And we will hear you. You will hear from us again in five minutes when we will come back and discuss Scream Factory's Blu-ray edition of John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness, and we will do a DVD giveaway.
And welcome back to The Calling Hours with your host, The Dead Man, and my special co-host, actress Jacqueline Martini. You still there, Jackie? Hello, hello. I am still here. Uh, can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you. I'm sure I'm sure the okay. metal was killing you, but but just to uh, throw it out real quick, through our our special band this evening, of course, is Cattle Decapitation. Uh they are it's a pretty metal sweet band name. Isn't it though? Well, let me give you a little info on Cattle Decapitation here. They're an American death grind band from San Diego, California that was formed in nineteen ninety six. Their songs are pretty were in the beginning were pretty much to protest the mistreatment and consumption of animals. Uh they also talk about the abuse of the environment and touch subjects such as mythanthropy and genocide on the human race. Uh a lot of their music wow. is based on putting oh yeah. <laughs> Most of their music is based on putting humans in the situations that animals are subjected to, animal testing and slaughter. And while the band originally started, when it originally started, the entire band was ve- or vegetarian. But right now, only two members of the band are vegetarian. So if you have a chance, check out MetalBlade.com and go pick up your copy of Monolith of Inhumanity by Cattle Decapitation. So the last part of the show, we are going to be talking about Scream Factory's John Carpenter's The Prince of Darkness. But before Jackie and I start talking about the film, let me go ahead and get this out there so that uh, we can make the listeners feel like they're having a good time. If you would like to win a copy of Scream Factory's Prince of Darkness on Blu-ray, please be my first caller at 347-237-5099. And Michael, the guy that won last week, you can't win it two weeks in a row. So if you're if you're listening, you can't win again tonight. But once again, if you would like to own a copy of John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness on Blu-ray from Scream Factory, please give me a call at 347-237-5099. So, 1987's Prince of Darkness by John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. What did you think? What did you think of the film? Well, um, I actually was pretty impressed by it. It was the first time I'd seen it. And um, first of all, Alice Cooper, that just makes me, that made me want to watch it even more. Um, But it wasn't like a typical horror movie. It had all, you know, it was, you know, it had to do with Satan and stuff. But the idea, there wasn't, how can I put this? Okay, like, for instance, all these people that are turning into zombies, they're not really, like, you know, flesh-eating zombies per se. They're just kind of, like, dead. They're just kind of, like, wandering outside, um, you know, the whole possessed. time. Yeah, just, yeah, exactly, possessed. And meanwhile, they're all stuck in this old church trying to figure out what the hell is this green stuff. And, you know, the, the fact that each one of them slowly kind of gets turned um, until the very end, and uh, Jesus, the blonde one, I don't remember the character name, what, what's the character, the blonde one, who was pretty much possessed the whole time? Oh, the um, the one that looked like uh, looked like the chick from Hellraiser, didn't she? Yeah, it was. Had her skin? Um, yeah. Lisa Blount, was that her? Say that again? Was it Lisa Blount who... 
Well, either way. I believe it was, yes. I think I believe that was okay. Lisa Blunt, yes. Okay. And uh, not to cut you off for a second, but it looks like we may have a winner. Let oh. me see. Thank you for calling the calling hours. This is your host, the Dead Man. Who am I speaking with? Hello, Dead Man. Hello. How are you tonight? I am fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Great show. Thank you. I appreciate it. Why don't you tell us who you are since you are the winner of Scream Factory's Blu-ray edition of The Prince of Darkness. Excellent. My name is Elena Burnett. Okay, Elena. Um, How'd you hear about our show? Uh, On Facebook. Nice, nice. Well, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to send me an email at slitoftheristfx at yahoo.com with your mailing address, and I will get this copy of of, uh, John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness out to you. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you for listening, and, and I hope you continue to listen. What have you thought of the show this evening? No, oh, it's it's been very entertaining. Good, good. I appreciate it. I also I, I see that you're from North Carolina as well. What part of North Carolina are you from? Uh, visiting, actually. Oh, you're I'm from visiting. Illinois. Oh, okay. Oh, okay, okay. Well, excellent. Well, thank you so much for listening to the show, and. Thank you for your continued support, and we will get that out in the mail to you tomorrow. Thank you so much. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye. <laughs> All right. All right. I like we'll see. Go quick. <laughs> yeah. All right. So continue awesome. on. We were we were talking about Lisa okay. Blunt and her her messed up face. No, Susan Blanchard is the messed up face. Susan oh, Blanchard. okay, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, right, so continue. I had to I had to double check on that. Okay, first of all, the gore on this it is genuinely disturbing. Um, I was kind of kind of surprised. The actor who plays I can't think of his name, um, the Asian guy in it is awesome. Victor is it Victor Wong? The older one or the younger guy? The who's the younger guy? Is Victor Wong the older one? Um, let me look at my notes here and make sure I know I'm going to feel really bad about this. Um, well, Victor Wong, I believe, is the older gentleman. And then That's Dennis, the older one. Yeah, Deniston. They were both, uh, as a side note, were also in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, for those that may not have known. Yeah, Deniston. Okay. Yeah, he that scene where he was locked in that little closet um, when she was basically bleeding and, like, slowly transforming into some rotting, burning corpse was genuinely terrifying. She had, you know, the really deep voice, the devil, you know, Satan voice or whatever talking to him. And, I mean, I was, I mean, for 87, you know, it got me. It definitely got me. I mean, oh, and the Oh, I'm right there with well. you. Well, yeah. you know, it's funny that you say that because we'll go into the special features here in a minute. But um, when the devil, you know, when the devil's hand comes through the mirror, the first mm-hmm. thing that came to my mind was, you know, the devil from legend is about to come out of this mirror. That's what I thought, too. And it's kind of funny because I don't know that I liked it because it showed too much. Because you knew exactly what it looked like, and you only saw the hand because of that movie. And because of, you know, just that's just what a lot of people, you know, associate the devil to be. Some giant red, you know, like mythical or... Horned beast. Like, uh, 
Yeah, like a horned beast. So when you see that, like, you know, hoof, pretty, like, hand hoof, you know in your mind what it's going to look like, but then they just cut it off, so you only see a couple inches of the hand. But, you know, I'm not sure that I liked it. I kind of wished that they would have gone with just a really messed up hand, like maybe hers. I mean, hers was, like, bleeding and falling apart. But, like, how much more creepier would it have been if it would have been just a, like, just a messed up hand or, like, maybe a little deformed but not like an animal, like not like a, an obvious red and black, you know. Well, hand. it's funny that you say that because we'll, we're going to start talking about the special features here um, here in a second. But what did you think about the clarity? I mean, for, for a movie that was shot on film in 1987 without without any, to the best of my knowledge, any real – there were no digital effects. Everything was practical effects. What do yeah. you think about the, the DVD transfer? I mean, how how crisp it, did that? I mean, did you think it, that was a movie from 1987? No, I mean, it really did. It looked good. It looked good. Granted, you know, the copy I saw was a Blu-ray, but still, it looked great, especially for its age. I mean, it it looked good, and it sounded good too. There was a couple times where you know maybe the voices was were a little bit lower and the music that had just come on, and, you know, I kind of had to adjust. But, I mean, overall, and honestly, like, I hadn't really heard of this movie, and, I, you know, I'd seen the cover a lot, um, but I was happily surprised. I was happily surprised, but I'm glad it wasn't just, you know, a slasher flick. It, um, you know, I, I always like, you know, any movie that has to do with, like, devil, mythical, or satanic type of thing, those are always fun, and demons in general. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. You know, and the last couple, you know, the last release of this was on standard edition DVD back in 2003. And one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of Screen Factory's discs are they don't give you bare bones when you get a DVD. And this 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 DVD in particular is there's no exception to the rule. On this one, um you get your standard audio commentary, which is new for this edition with writer director John Carpenter. And then um, as far as the special features go, and um, all of this is new for the release, uh, we have a, uh, a ten-and-a-half-minute interview with uh, John Carpenter entitled Sympathy for the Devil. And in that, um, he discusses how the project came to be. Um, and one of the things that you had mentioned is how the film was different. It wasn't like a cookie-cutter film. That's one of the mm-hmm. things that he says straight off. He was trying to make – you know, a film that separates itself from other genre fare by using new ideas instead of reusing the same thing over and over. And yeah, that's fantastic. the other thing he mentioned what's that? Oh, I just said, yeah, that was fantastic. And it didn't look like it had a super high budget either. No, no. And I, I have to look um I've I've seen discrepancies on what the actual budget of the film was, so I don't wanna I don't wanna quote a number and then have someone jump on me, but um well, no, I mean, but, I just, um, like, I know that he wanted to do a lower-budget movie that, you know, he said it that created unease. Well, this did it. You know, like you said, it takes it takes place in a church, so not many locations were used. They used all practical effects, and so, you know, they didn't really they didn't have any digital. They what what did he say? The only um, the most complex thing was the mirror scene at the end with using real mercury. Right, right. And, you know, yeah. and, and I thought that that scene came across effectively. And, Definitely. you know, one of the other things he talks about in there, you know, 
because we see a lot of it in, in today's films. Uh, he, he discusses how different cutting techniques affect the viewing enjoyment for the audience. And, you know, he mm-hmm. didn't he didn't want to use a lot of jump cuts and quick cuts and things like that for the film. If you kind of notice that, you know, the camera almost seems to – I don't know if, what the word I want is – almost looms over the cast. You know, it's almost like it's a – almost like you're watching it from – from an invisible demon's point of view, you know, the way that things are shown. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also, something else that you brought up, saying that this was the first time you had seen it, um, he discusses on there as well how people find his movies again and again on home video. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I thought that was a really, really good interview with him. Um, mm-hmm, the one that, my favorite interview on the whole disc, as much as I love the John Carpenter one, was the Alice at the Apocalypse one. Yeah. And that's the one with yeah. uh, Alice Cooper talking about how he got the part for the film. And it, it's funny. He talks about how basically he just called John up and was like, hey, you know, I hear you're shooting here. You know, do you mind if I come by? John's like, yeah, yeah. you know, and he gets there and, you know, he winds up getting the part and talks about the makeup and how the character doesn't talk. And and um, but what I found, you know, really cool, uh, and again, this goes back to being a wrestling fan. He talks about how he met John Carpenter, which was, of all places, he met him at WrestleMania three in Detroit when Alice Cooper was a guest of the WWE, or well, WWE now WWF then. And yeah. um, but what I thought was really cool when you think about Alice Cooper and everything that he's done in his career, he looks right at the camera and he tells you how then and even now it's still a big deal to him to have been in a John Carpenter film. Yeah. And to hear that from someone like, you know, like Alice Cooper, I mean, how cool is that? I mean, I mean, he's been in so many things. Oh, sure. I mean, and he's done plenty of horror, you know, he was Freddie's dad and everything else. So, I mean, yeah, it, it was really nice to see them to incorporate him and, you know, and he, and even he said, you know, he would have almost preferred it had they not shown the hand either. He wanted that element yeah, of suspense, yeah. and he he still thinks yeah. now that that John should do a sequel to the film. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and I don't think that would be. Oh yeah, and um, um, so we're starting to run on time. But to to, to finish this off, um, there's also uh, the Messenger, which is an interview segment with actor and special visual effects supervisor Robert um, Grasmere, and he talks about that was the really different. Interesting. Oh, yeah, he talks about the special effects and the visual effects and, and everything that they had to do. And, you know, he was the guy you were talking about with the bugs and all that, how his oh, death Oh, yeah, that, that got me. Yeah. Well, and then we had – um, It was, it was funny ahead. to hear him talk about that bug scene because, you know, he said he had a stunt double the whole time. So, really, the, the only time a bug touched him was that one scene where he had one on his face and he said that he had to put, like – some sticky sub honey or something on his face just so the bug doesn't, you know, move really quick so they can get the shot. And, um, you know, bugs, I mean, I think I think anybody in their right mind that's watching that would be generally creeped out with, like, 100,000 beetles, little beetles crawling all mm-hmm. over you, out your yeah, arms, that, that, holes, and pant legs. Like, mm, sorry. <laughs> not nah, interested. Not <laughs> and then um, the other two, the other Features that were really nice. We had the Hell on Earth with co-composer Alan Harworth. He talks about um, the musical score and the technology used working with John Carpenter. 
And then we had uh, Sean Clark's uh, feature. He does another one of Horror's Hollowed Grounds, where he, he goes and looks at the uh, the places where the where the film was made. And then uh, they also have an alternate opening for the film, um, an original theatrical trailer, and um, two radio spots, a still gallery. And then there's an Easter egg on there. If you highlight the tombstone in the menu option, there is a 12-minute segment with an uh, that sh- that's from the um, – the footage of the 25th anniversary screening at ScreenFest 2012, and there's a Q&A with John. But overall, I found it to be a great release. If you're a fan of mm-hmm. John Carpenter or this film, I highly recommend you run out and get it. But uh, we're running up against the clock, so I want to say thank you for being on the show, Jackie. If people want to uh, look you up, where would they go to look you up real quick? Well, they can just... Google my name. They can go to JacquelineMartini.com. I've got Facebooks and Instagrams and pretty much every social media outlet but Twitter. Um, yeah, just type my name in Google and you'll it'll come up. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> Which is funny, actually. Excellent, excellent. That interview, since that interview the other day, I've gotten a, a bunch of people contacting me asking me for autographs, which I'm, you know, still can't believe. And it's awesome. That's like the most the best, most flattering thing in the world. So thank you well, for doing well, that interview. <laughs> anytime. And I'm looking forward to working with you again. So from the Dead yes. Man and Jacqueline and Horror Society, we bid you good night. We are going to close the show uh, with a highlight of next week's musical guest, which is Entrails. The name of the song is Cadaverous Stench. So until next time, we'll see you then and rest in
Are we not? <laughs>